This is Ron Stockton. I'm doing this podcast in May of 2021 during a time of violence. Israel had its fourth election uh, in two years in March. Much to the surprise of many people, but not all, the religious Zionist party got six seats up from one. This is a collection of political factions, including the ultra-hard-right Jewish Power Party. This party traces its roots to Rabbi Meir Kahana, originally of Brooklyn. Kahana was elected to the Knesset in 1984 and was running strong in the polls for the next election when Israel passed an ad hoc law banning him for being a racist. He was assassinated in 1990 during a campaign stop in New York. The person who shot him, an Egyptian living in the United States, was charged with his murder, but not found guilty for want of a witness. It might sound strange that an assassination in a large ballroom could have no witnesses, but nobody claimed actually to have seen the shooting. The assassin was convicted of killing a security guard as he fled the ballroom and was given a long sentence. I heard Rabbi Kahana speak twice when he was in the Detroit area. Once was in 1980 and once in 1982. The first event was at the Jewish Community Building. It was sponsored by Wayne State Hillel and Young Israel. There were about 100 people present. The second event was at the Southfield Civic Center. Southfield is a suburb of Detroit. At the time, it had a large Jewish population. The city denied Kahana a permit, but were told by a judge that they had no choice. The Jewish leadership had urged people to boycott the talk. One rabbi protested the boycott. He later signed up for one of my classes and caused me much grief. I had read two of Kahana's books, Time to Go Home and They Must Go. The first was a call for American Jews to abandon this country and return to their homeland of Israel. The second was a call to expel all the Palestinians from Israel and the Palestinian territories. These two issues went together if you think about it. The Palestinians out, the American Jews in to replace them. The rabbi's third noted book, Never Again, was also related to the idea that the Jews were at risk. The first of these events was largely quiet. There were only two people in the event who did not come with yarmulkes or kippahs, if you wish, me and a young man. I put one on as I entered the the room. He resisted and was taken out. He soon returned with head cover. The second event, which had perhaps 400 people present, was far more raucous. There was much more cheering and hooting. Kahana was 50 years old at the time. He had black hair with some gray. He was of thin build. He had a nervous manner. His eyes were blinking. He kept wiping his face as if to remove tension. He appeared haggard. He had nervous habits with his hands. He kept flinging his fingers in an accusatory manner. His hand would hit his forehead and then his arm would extend forward in what to me resembled a Nazi-like motion. I found this very distracting. I was amazed that the audience did not react. Kahana kept thumping the table in an ominous and resonant manner, without flourish, and not in meter. His manner was a mix of Richard Nixon with the nervousness of Joe McCarthy. Kahana headed the Jewish Defense League called Kach in Israel. The name is from a slogan by Menachem Begin in the pre-state period, Rach Kach, which means only thus. 
It was illustrated by a poster showing Jordan as a part of Eretz Israel, the Jewish homeland. The poster had a soldier's hand holding an assault rifle. This was a commitment to the violent conquest of the whole of what is called Greater Israel, Eretz Israel. I took extensive notes on these two talks and wrote them up. As is my custom, I tried to extract the key themes of the ideology. That is what I would like to discuss with you. Kahana and others on the Jewish right think there is a dual holocaust on the way. The Arabs want to destroy Israel and massacre the Jews, and the Americans will ultimately turn upon the Jews in this country and massacre or expel them. The alleged goal to drive the Jews into the sea is something many of you have probably heard. But the idea of an American Holocaust may be new to you. It is something I have heard elsewhere. Once a student in my class on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict told the class that she had been told exactly that during Jewish school, that it was not a matter of if, but when, the American Holocaust would occur. On another occasion, I had someone from the Anti-Defamation League talking to my class. An African-American student made a critical comment about the Israeli invasion of Lebanon in 1982. The speaker said, you can assume that in 50 years there will still be black people in America, but I cannot assume that in 50 years there will still be Jews in America. I have to save Israel for my children and my grandchildren. Let me emphasize that this was a thoughtful person, not someone connected to the Jewish hard right. If you live in a world of such apocalyptic fears, then any criticism of Israel or of the positions of the Jewish leadership regarding Israel has a very different meaning. No matter how logical, it could conceal ominous intentions. And if the goal of your opponents, even your critics, is ultimately to exterminate your people, then there is no limit to what you are morally allowed to do to stop them. And there is no limit on what you can call them or accuse them of planning. On this subject, this is not my first rodeo. I wrote three articles on the three attempts of the Presbyterian Church over a 10-year period to sell the stocks in their endowment in five, in five war-supporting or occupation-supporting companies, including Caterpillar and United Technologies. The Presbyterians have had a policy on this dating to the 1970s, that they would not hold such stocks. So to many of them, this was not particularly controversial. But the response from the organized Jewish leadership was beyond rational. I was stunned at the nature of the response, that the goal of the Presbyterians was to destroy Israel or empower terrorism or to crush the economy of Israel. As if having Presbyterians sell a few million dollars worth of Caterpillar stock, which would be immediately bought some by some mutual fund, would have the slightest impact on Israel. But Rabbi Kahana would not have disagreed with those sentiments. By the way, my articles are available on Deep Blue if you would like to read one or more. What I want to do now is walk you through my notes on those two talks back in the 1980s. I'm worried about this presentation because I do not have an organized text, just those notes. But as I look them over, I think they captured the essence of the Kahanist model. I do not read Hebrew, so I cannot focus upon the statements and goals of those Kahanist groups and parties in Israel today. But as far as I can tell, they are not fundamentally different from the things I heard in the 1980s. 
Of course, an essential difference has to do with power. In America, those who share this worldview are reduced to inflammatory and racist epitaphs and accusations. In Israel, the same mindset and organizational structure is embedded in the majority population and its uh, structures of power. Sad to say, I would predict, as I have in the past, that ethnic nationalist extremism is a growth stock. And if you think I'm only speaking of Israel, you might listen to my podcast on the replacement wars. There's a similar logic loose in my own country. Okay, let's go through now and look at what the notes that I took at the time on these two talks. One of the rabbi's themes was, nobody cares about Jews except Jews. And Jews have lost their soul trying to assimilate. Intermarriage is a major threat. The real villains of the Holocaust were the Jews who did nothing. They feared being thought ill of, feared being a bad neighbor. He spoke of the need to destroy the enemies of the Jews. He spoke favorably of blood and of violent action. He urged audiences not to be afraid of going to jail or provoking a reaction. He's very uncompromising. As he said, there is no peace. There will be no peace. Let the children go back to their land. The Bible, he says, does not tell us thou shall not kill. It says thou shall not murder. Thou shall not stand by thy brother's blood. Moses is Moses our teacher. When he saw an Egyptian attack a Jew, he killed him. Surely the rabbis renounced him for that. Of course, there were no rabbis at the time. Kahanas is hostile to the establishment rabbi and the Jewish leaders. Jewish leaders are not chosen for their scholarship. They are chosen for their money. On the statement that he is an extremist, there is not a Jew in the world who doesn't want a JDL, Jewish Defense League, in its closet when, where he can take it out when he needs it. The JDL was a very violent group that, that defended Jews. And so his statement is that really deep down, even those Jews who renounced the JDL are glad that it's around. On the Palestinians, there is no Palestine. There is no Palestinian people. They are Arabs. This is our land. We have come home. And if the Arabs don't like it, we will provide them with trucks to leave. To give up the land is a prohibition of the Torah, the Jewish uh, law, the first five books of the Bible. There are two kinds of Arabs, clever ones and less clever ones. There are no moderates. The clever ones conceal their true motives. Peace will come to Israel the day the Jewish people bring the Messiah, not one day earlier. The Bible says so. The creation of Israel in 1948 was a miracle done by God's hand. Nothing can prevent the state of Israel from surviving. Nothing. There will never be a third exile, the rabbis tell us. Now, there are three times when uh, there has been a Jewish state. Uh, that uh, There was a temple during the time of Solomon that was destroyed. There was a temple during the time of Jesus, Herod, uh, that was destroyed. And now there is the state of Israel, but the temple has not been built. <clears throat> there will never be a third exile. If Jordan becomes a Palestinian state and starts a war, we will liberate it too. 
Uh, by the way, the revisionist wing of the Israeli political system of Jewish nationalism claims Jordan as a part of Eretz Israel, the Jewish homeland. These militant statements, by the way, were greeted by cheers. There were a few moderates in the audience. I'm talking now about the first meeting. Some raised questions. Kahana posed them with his ideas, and the audience cheered his points. One young woman said she would rather have a democracy in Israel, even if it meant an Arab majority. Kahana said, no, to hell with them. And the audience went wild. During question time, should Israel compromise with its allies and seek their support? Kahana says, tell them, we have nuclear weapons, chemical and biological weapons. We don't have a Masada complex. We have a Samson complex. We will take you with us. The audience went wild at this point. Now, uh, Masada is a point where, uh, where uh, Jews, during the time uh, in the aftermath of the period of Jesus, 100 years later, went up on top of a mountain, and when they were forced to surrender, they all committed suicide. Of course, Samson uh, tore, tore down the temple and killed everyone, including himself. Uh, I don't want to be loved. I want to be respected. Kahana says, more cheers. Is there a place for Jews in America? Someone asks. No. Some should stay to help others get out. None should stay permanently. The galut is a curse, a sin and a punishment. You will not find rest. Galut, by the way, is the word for exile or living in another country when there is, in fact, a Jewish state. I want to be the prime minister, and with God's help, I will be the prime minister. The worst thing, the worst things are for the Jews, the better my chances will be. Kahana promised that he would not sell out when he was in power. He says he is assured of being elected to the Knesset in the next election. Indeed, he was. He asked people to make checks to the Jewish idea to fund his campaign. It believes everything Kach does, but it is not violent. Now, Kahana did what many uh, followed an old Bolshevik pattern of creating front groups. Um, he had others of his followers had created their own groups, Americans for a Safe Israel, Flame, these were groups at the time. I don't think they're around anymore, but they ran major advertisements in, uh, in American newspapers and were quite well funded, obviously. Um, okay, let's go to the next meeting, the one that took place in, uh, in Southfield. He starts, he walks out, he starts. In 1938, Vladimir Jabotinsky, uh, he was the founder of the revisionist movement. Uh, Zionism broke in the 1930s into two parts, the mainstream Zionist groups and then the revisionists. They were called that because they wanted to revise the border to include uh, Jordan as a part of, of what was then the Palestinian mandate, which they believed would become the Jewish state. Jabotinsky died in 1940 of natural causes, and Yitzhak, uh, sorry, uh, Menachem Begin became his successor, and uh, that's today the Likud party. In 1938, Vladimir Jabotinsky wrote of a carriage filled with people eating and drinking. The coach was rushing to a precipice. The horsemen had fallen off. No one got up to stop the horses. 
Kind of says the same situation is there today. He says, we have dwarfs and pygmies who constitute the leadership of the Jewish community. These are people chosen because of their money, not their Jewishness. He makes a reference to B'nai B'rit, a major, uh, a major Jewish organization that told Jews not to give any publicity to Kana or the Jewish Defense League. People are asked to report to the B'nai B'rit any contact from the Jewish Defense League. Kahana continues, rabbis whose ignorance of Judaism is legendary. Their only saving grace is that their congregations are more ignorant than they are. And he made a whole list of his enemies in the Jewish community and in public, the Detroit Free Press, the Washington Post, the New York Times, etc., etc. In truth, he says, the American Jewish community is riddled with self-hate, defeatism, breast-beating. He condemns leaders such as Rabbi Hertzberg. He was a nationally prominent intellectual and moderate. I admired him. I'd read some of his books. He condemns uh, Rabbi Hertzberg. For 2,000 years, Jews died as losers, so we cannot psychologically live as winners. It is far better to be a winner than a loser. It is exquisite to have a Jewish state that is hated by the world rather than an Auschwitz that is loved by it. But they will hate us regardless of what we do. Lebanon, the uh, uh, the Israeli army it, it was in Lebanon. They had just invaded in 1982, and they had marched all the way up to uh, Beirut, and then there was a massacre of Palestinians. Here's what he says. Lebanon is a tragedy indeed. Why? Because we did not go in a year earlier. We went in with a lie, a tragic lie. We said we were going in to establish a 25-mile zone. The truth is we were going in to exterminate the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. And here the audience went wild with cheers. We reached Beirut in five days. The PLO was terrified. Then came an 80-day stalemate called the 80-day war by the PLO. The PLO has become a hero to every child. Begin said to the Knesset, I have no wish to humiliate them. Kahana says, humiliate them. I want to kill them. More cheers. Regarding the Sabra and Shatila massacres, I'm going to create a separate podcast on that. A needless lie. Why lie? Say the truth. The PLO broke the treaty. They left 2,000 terrorists. We had evacuated the, the international community, i.e. the United States, had mediated with the PLO and agreed to evacuate the PLO armies out of uh, out of Beirut to Tunis, and uh, and this was after uh, this massacre occurred after that evacuation. They left behind two thousand terrorists. There's no evidence of this. Uh, this is something that's just repeated over and over again. We had to get them out. We could do it or let the Christians do it. We would have lost forty troops. Jewish soldiers are worth more than all Arabs. By the way, no, not a single Lebanese soldier died in that incident, only Palestinian civilians. Um, the collective will of the Palestinian people is to see every Jew in Israel dead. This is the uh, Israeli Holocaust that, uh, that is mentioned. Um, regarding a peace plan, somebody asked, what about a peace plan? I have a guaranteed peace plan, an instant peace plan. It consists of one plank, give up Israel. I guarantee you the Arab-Israeli dispute will come to an end. Israel did not come into being for peace. 
There will never be peace because the Arabs will never accept a Jewish state. I want peace more than anyone else in this room. I do not live in Southfield. I live in Israel. I am in the army. My son is in the army. God recognizes Israel. Who needs the recognition of the Arabs? Then he says, there are no Palestinians. There are Arabs. This is interesting because I was once uh, at, a, at an academic conference on graveyards, and I was uh, doing a presentation on Arab gravestones and, and showing how people often put their, their birthplaces on their stones. And I showed one of a person who identified himself as a Palestinian. And here in the middle of this academic conference, someone got up and said, there are no Palestinians. It was very uh, shocking. It was like I pushed a button or something. He was triggered. There are no Palestinians. They are Arabs. <clears throat> Regarding the Arabs in Israel, do you know who are the most dangerous Arabs in Israel? Revolutionaries don't come from the numb and dumb. Arab students at Hebrew University, at Haifa University, these are the dangers. We, we celebrate that we have Arabs in those universities. Another such victory, and we are undone. This is an effort, uh, a reference to the effort to integrate Arabs into Israeli society. <clears throat> Arabs have babies. Jews do not have babies. There is no Aliyah. Aliyah means uh, migration of American Jews to, um, uh, to Israel. Traffic is heavy in the other direction. That is, uh, Jews, are, Jews are leaving Israel, which is definitely true in, at that time. In 50 years, what will the population be? Today, Galilee, that's the northern part uh, which borders on Lebanon, today Galilee has an Arab majority. In how many years will Arabs constitute a third of the Knesset? Today, by the way, there are about 20-some percent, 22%. Will they be the second party in Israel? The rabbi starts a series of rhetorical questions. He often, uh, a rhetorical question is a question which is really a statement. Do Arabs have the right to become a majority in Israel? The Declaration of Independence provided for three things, a Jewish state, democracy, equal rights. Can an Arab majority rename the state Palestine? Yes, they can. Can an Arab majority abolish the law of return? This is a law that allows any Jew in the world to, to go to Israel and become instantly a citizen. Could become prime minister the next day. Yes, following democracy rather than Jewish values is a threat to Israel. Now he says he was in uh, he says he was in Ramla prison. This is a big prison. Um, I don't know if he was or not, but he says he was. Uh, he's not a coherent speaker, by the way. He jumps around. He starts one topic, then he goes to another topic. He's not coherent. Um, uh, and he gets very emotional. Uh, whether that emotion is calculated or what, I don't know. The overwhelming majority of prisoners are Sephardic. Now, remember, there are two types of Jews. The Jews from Europe, of European culture, are called Ashkenazi. And the Jews of Middle East origin, uh, with a Middle East-type culture, are called Sephardic. The overwhelming majority of prisoners are Sephardic. That is the greatest crime of the Israeli leaders. In the block with me were four Yemeni murderers. In 500 years in Yemen, there were not four Jewish murderers. We took from them Jewish values and gave them crime. He referred to Israel as becoming a Hebrew-speaking Portugal. I think that probably wasn't intended as a compliment, but... Uh, uh, he says the leaders of Israel took Judaism from Zionism. 
Secular Zionism is Hellenism, the ancient enemy of Jewish nationalism. <clears throat> um, that, that's true, by the way, that the Zionist movement was secular, and uh, the Zionist leaders, uh, the Jewish nationalist leaders, were not, uh, not, uh, not religious in their personal lives. Uh, he referred to an upsurge of Jew hatred in this country as a result of the massacres in Sabra and Shatila. Um, he says, King Hussein of Jordan massacred 12,000 Palestinians and there were no editorials. He's talking about Black September and, uh, uh, and uh, actually there were probably 3,000 Palestinians killed, not 12,000. But, you know, exaggeration makes a point. Why are there editorials now? Because Jews did it. Nothing changed but the opportunity, i.e. there was an excuse to attack Jews. Okay, this is interesting. He starts a, a, a series of points. Poland is Poland, and they killed Jews. Germany was Germany, and they killed Jews. And America is America. He lets that hang. At this point, the audience becomes very quiet. This obviously had a powerful impact. He goes through a series of parallel responses. People said that Germans were different, and they were right. Germans were different. They said Russians were different, and they're right. Russians are different. But whoever said that Russians were not different from Germans, and what difference does it make? And now they say Americans are different, and they're right. Americans are different. But what does it matter? It happened in Germany, not because Germans are any different from anybody else. It happened because of an economic collapse. The implication, by the way, is that the American Holocaust is on the way. It happened because of economic collapse. The Jewish leadership in America have not the slightest idea what people think of Jews. They are the black-tie Jews. They meet black-tie Gentiles at the National Conference of Christians and Jews. By the way, this is a major organization, and they have annual dinners, and everybody shows up, and they're all so polite. He says, come on, these are not. this is not America. There's only one place where you can learn what people think about Jews in a bar. Sarcastically, he says, our Gentiles are very gentle. Gentiles means non-Jews. America became rich because it had no competition. The Depression ended because World War II created jobs. Without World War II, who knows what the Father Coughlins would have done. Father Coughlin was a right-wing priest in uh, the Detroit area who had a national broadcast. He was very critical of Jews. He was closed down when the Second World War started. The FBI contacted the bishop and said, either you close him down or we will detain him. If there's an economic collapse, do you think people who have tasted the good life for 30 years would accept poverty? He says, we live in the era of redemption. He quotes a Sabbath prayer. He who separates between the holy and the profane, Israel and the nations. Israel is not just another people, he says. Do you think people who win wars in six days are ordinary people? Six days! God created the world in six days, and it takes us six days to capture it. Uh, the leader of the Palestinians at the time of the PLO was Yasser Arafat, and he had a meeting with the Pope. Kahana says, don't be upset. If the Pope were meeting Arafat in Jerusalem and I was in Rome, I would be upset. But I'm in Jerusalem and the Pope is in Rome. The Pope has a theological problem. How can Israel exist? It must be a temporary aberration. There is nothing we can do to stop them from hating us. They hate us with a psychopathetic hatred. 
They will hate us even if Shimon Perez is prime minister and he's considered a more moderate leader. So question and answer. He's very effective about this. He knows how to handle people and close them down. Uh, what about annexing the territories, that is the West Bank and Gaza? We must complete the exchange of populations. Exchange, that's a very polite term for pretty awful stuff. We took in 700,000 Jews. Let's give them 700,000 Arabs. Wild cheers. That was, uh, you know, maybe the population of the West Bank at that time. There were wild cheers at this. Someone says, what if they don't want to go? He says, it depends on who the government is. Any Arab who is willing to leave voluntarily will receive full compensation. If he's not willing to leave voluntarily, he will leave with nothing. I will not give up my country to bullets or babies. Here there are more wild cheers. There were 12 million Germans expelled from the East after the First Second World War. That's true. 18 million Hindus and Muslims were exchanged. That's true. In, when uh, when, when um, India and uh, Pakistan came into existence. 2 million Greeks and Turks were exchanged. I don't want the Galilee to become my Northern Ireland. I don't want to kill Arabs every weekend. They must go. And he bang, bang, bang. <clears throat> At this point, there's wild cheering. Um, he referred to a future radio broadcast and what it would take to get Arabs to leave. He says they will leave when they turn on the radio and they hear a news report. Meyer Kahana, Minister of Defense, announced today. At that point, they will leave. It's not necessary to drive them out. <clears throat> the Jew of Israel and the Jew of Southfield, that's the same Jew. Israelis are not Israelis, but Jews. You young people, why are you here? You don't have to be a doctor, a lawyer, a CPA, every Jew a CPA, every Jew a PhD. Go home, have lots of babies, become a farmer, build our houses. <clears throat> Why do Arabs have to build our houses? This is true, by the way, that much of the work uh, of construction is done by Arab workers. Plant a Jewish tree. At this point, by the way, there's total silence. He's telling those young Jews who were so excited about his ideas when he says, okay, you're cheering me. Go back to Israel. That's where we need you. We don't need you sitting here in Southfield. At this point, they don't want to leave. They're quiet. He makes a fundraising pitch for the Jewish unity movement. Um, this is a front group. I mentioned this. Uh, they, they, uh, Kahana creates front groups. And um, he says it believes in everything that JDL believes in, but it's nonviolent. Okay, Kahana's movement, Kach, is, is violent. But he says, okay, this is nonviolent. Well, come on, tell, uh, you're not convincing me. He pointed out, by the way, he says, it's tax exempt. You can write it off of your taxes. So my question is, how does such a group get tax exempt status? I don't know. I'm not afraid of the Gentiles, he says, but I'm afraid of the Jews who don't do anything. One does not depend on miracles. The Talmud tells us what to do. Don't let Nazis speak. Break their legs. Now, when he says break their legs, it's obvious he means more. He just doesn't want to be arrested for incitement. On the PLO, he says the PLO is not a threat to Israel. It kills people and must be stopped. But a threat to Israel? No, it's a pinprick. Okay, let me just give you a summary of some of the main points he makes. I'll jump around a little bit, but uh, I think this summary will be helpful. 
For one thing, he's separatist. He doesn't think Jews should mix with others. And that's a position, by the way, of those uh, right-wing parties that I mentioned at the beginning of the talk. There should be no mixing, no intermarriage, not even social gatherings. He's a religious ethnic nationalist. Political identity and religious identity are fused together. Um, he's self-messianic. He says, with God's help, I can save the Jews. That sort of thing. Strange. He's authoritarian, very anti-democratic. He doesn't believe rational human beings will do the right thing. He doesn't believe human nature is good. Human nature is evil. We have to save ourselves. He sees non-Jews in broad categories. There are Arabs, there are Gentiles. These show goodwill on the surface sometimes, but conceal ulterior motives of hatred for Jews. He's very, very unfriendly to non-Jews. He's militaristic. He's opposed to any negotiations. He's apocalyptic. He believes the return of the Jews to Israel will bring the Messiah and a new age. Um, theologically, he's what we would call post-millennialist. You can listen to my uh, podcast on Christian Zionism to get an understanding of that. He says Jews have to recover their roots and return to orthodoxy. He's an orthodox Jew. He thinks Reform Judaism, conservative Judaism, these are really just, these are not Judaism. I don't know what they are, but he thinks they're not. Jews have to become militant and learn to use violence against their enemies. Believe me, they're planning to use violence against you. You better get ready. <clears throat> Jews who think the U.S. is different are a serious threat. <laughs> Reform and conservative rabbis and secular leaders who have lapsed into paganism, cowardice, self-hate, self-betrayal, and defeatism. Those are the uh, real threats. Jews have to leave America <clears throat> and return to Israel. Israel should be a Jewish state, <clears throat> not a democratic state. Israel should never give up the occupied territories. They belong to the Jews because God gave it to them. The Palestinians are a cancer, he uses that term. They should be expelled from the occupied territories, which he refers to as Judea and Samaria. He doesn't use West Bank, East Jerusalem, um, uh, Gaza. Those are not terms that he uses. And also from Israel, not just the Jews of, of the Palestinian territories. He wants the Jews of Israel itself to be expelled. A part of the Jewish homeland, Jordan, was given to Arabs as a Palestinian state. They should go there. Okay, that's it. Um, I hope this was appropriately depressing. I found it depressing, but uh, I also hope it was informative.